0: Uh, I felt that I was supposed to talk about the glory of God, which is an intimidating subject. <laughs> and uh, I suggested a few other things to the Lord, but he wasn't having that. <laughs> uh, so, we'll begin. There was a great excitement in that. Uh, Adoniram's household, seven years he'd been working for King Solomon, helping to supervise the thousands of workers building a magnificent temple for the people to worship God. Today they would all travel to Jerusalem for 14 days of celebration as Solomon dedicated the temple to Yahweh, Almighty God. Miriam had been up since dawn preparing for the trip, so much to finalise. So much last minute packing to do. Adoniram had tried to describe to her this new temple, but it was hard to imagine anything like what he was talking about. All the stone and timber and gold that had been used was more than Miriam had ever seen in her life. Tomorrow she would get to see what her husband had been raving about for so long. Finally, they were off. A long caravan of people from the village all chatting and children running between the groups, laughing and excited. It was a two day journey and then they would set up camp outside the city walls. The following day the celebrations would begin. When they arrived and found a place to camp, Miriam looked up and gasped. She could see the brilliant whiteness of the stone of the huge building high above them at the top of the city. Solomon had surely built his temple, worthy of the great God they worshipped. Because Adoniram had been one of the overseers, they would get to watch from the most outer court, where palace officials and some of the priests and other supervisors would gather. She wasn't sure how much they'd be able to see. It would be better than most of the others from their village who wouldn't be able to get very close at all. She knew they wouldn't get to see the holy place or the holy of holies, but Adoniram had described how they were built from huge stone blocks lined with cedar panelling and overlaid with gold, decorated with cherubim and palm trees and flowers, the huge thick curtain that separated the two rooms was woven from blue, purple, crimson and white thread and embroidered with cherubim. In the Holy of Holies were two golden cherubim, 15 feet high with 15 foot wingspans, that would stand over the Ark of the Covenant when it was moved from the tent that King David had set up for it. It must all be so amazing. The day dawned bright and sunny, and Adoniram and Miriam climbed up the hill into the city toward the temple. They found a good spot and waited for the ceremony to begin. One group of priests was offering sacrifices continually, whilst another group were playing cymbals, lyres, harps, and trumpets. Another group was singing praise to God. There was so much happening. After some time, the music died down and another group of priests survived, carrying the ark, accompanied by more trumpeters heralding their arrival. They proceeded through the gateway that was flanked by two huge, intricately decorated pillars into the temple court and then disappeared into the holy place. Miriam couldn't really see much from where, she, where they were. But then all went quiet and she heard King Solomon as he knelt on a platform and prayed, dedicating this splendid building to Yahweh. When he finished praying, there was silence for a long moment. Suddenly fire flashed down from heaven, burning up all the offerings and sacrifices and the glorious presence of Almighty God filled the temple. Miriam was terrified. She felt the power of her presence and immediately fell to her knees. The huge crowd fell face down worshiping and praising God. The priests who were in the inner court couldn't stand up to continue their duties as the glory of God came over them. The Bible has much to say about the glory of God. What is glory? One definition that I read says, the glory of God is the sum of all his other wonderful attributes. His wisdom, his power, his His love, love. his justice, his holiness, his kindness, his beauty. What does the word glory mean? The dictionary has got three three meanings that I've talked about here. Very great praise, honor, or distinction bestowed by common consent. In other words, what we, we think of someone to give them glory. Number two is something that is a source of honor, fame, or admiration. A distinguished ornament or object of pride. Some men become proud and insolent because they ride a fine horse wear a feather in their hat or a dress in a fine suit of clothes. Who does not see the folly of this? Is there any, If there is to be any glory in such things, the glory belongs to the horse, and the bird, and the tail. St Francis de Sables of 1500s had a pretty clear idea of where the glory belonged. The third definition is adoring praise or worshipful thanksgiving, giving glory to God. The great composer Johann Sebastian Bach was known to pray a prayer out loud when he was beginning a new composition. The prayer was a simple one, just two Latin words, Jesus' Juba. Roughly translated, the simple Latin prayer means, Jesus help, or more specifically, Jesus help me. He said, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. He ended his composition SDG Soli del Gratia which means to God alone the praise. Ever since I first read the account in Exodus of Moses' relationship with God, I've been drawn and intrigued with the idea of his request to see God's glory. Moses had seen the cloud of God's presence that was always with them in the wilderness I get the idea he wanted more he uh, got to talk with God Exodus says Moses went into the tent the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. The presence of God was physically observable. All the people could see the cloud and knew what it was. Moses had an incredible relationship with God and yet he wanted more. He said, show me your glory. And I find it's a bit like that closer you get the more you know him the more you want it's interesting to note that when God agreed to Moses request God says I will make all my goodness pass before you he sort of took a specific one of his attributes and I will call out my name Yahweh before you but you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live so glory has several different variations of meaning in the Bible. The word stems from the idea of the opinion of somebody. What we think of them. Psalms is full of declarations of the glory of God and encourages us to give God glory. It says the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation tells us about God and how great he is what we do as Christians can give God glory. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Matthew says, in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. During the Thirty Years' War in Europe in in the 1600s the king of Sweden Gustavus Adolphus was slain while his troops were winning the battle in what is now Germany. Sweden was thrown into mourning and government officials met to determine how to replace the king. Some suggested a republic. Others thought the crown should go to Adolphus's cousin, the King of Poland. The Chancellor of Sweden arose and said, "Let there be no talk of a republic or of a Polish king's." For we have in our midst the heir of the great Gustavus, his little daughter, who is six years of age. Some protested that they had never seen her. The Chancellor said, wait a minute and I'll show you. He brought in Christina, daughter of the King, and placed her on the throne. One of the representatives, who was especially suspicious of the move, pressed forward and gazed intently into her face. Then turning to the assembly, he exclaimed, Look at her nose, her eyes, her chin. I see in the countenance of this child the features of the great Gustavus. She is the child of our King. From all quarters of the room rang the proclamation, Christina, Queen of Sweden. When others look at us and see God's likeness and give him glory, praise and honour. The second way that the Bible presents the glory of God is is the physical phenomenon that we have. We read about with the sort of dedication of Solomon's temple, something people can actually see with their physical eyes, feel in their bodies. We read about the cloud that led the Israelites. The cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled it. So we, these people could see the glory of God. They could see a, a physical thing that, that was glory of God. We don't get to, to see that <laughs> very much in, in our time, but sometimes we feel it. We feel God's presence. We feel that glory of God. In the New Testament, Luke says, an angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were terrified. Why were they terrified? What was it about the angel and the glory of the Lord that terrified the shepherds? The transfiguration. As the men watched Jesus' appearance, was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light when Jesus came to earth he chose to give up his glorious appearance to become a man but on this occasion his glory shone through <laughs> in the Acts it says Stephen full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What did he see? He was about to die. I think he had a glimpse of heaven before he quite got there. And of course the other glory that we read about is is the glory of heaven. Our hope of heaven. God wanted us to know the riches and glory of Christ and this is the secret. Christ lives in you your hope of glory your assurance of sharing his glory and Revelation 21 gives us a little <laughs> glimpse of what heaven might be like.
1: It says I
0: saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The holy city shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, but the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its Lamb. You're looking forward to that? Seeing that holy city? When we were having our evening devotions, Last week, this verse caught my attention and I was left pondering what it could mean. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to share in the glory of Jesus? How can we share in his glory? In John 17, Jesus praying for his disciples says my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message so that's us he's praying for us that all of them may be one Father just as you are in me and I am in you I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me did you know that God loves you the same as he loves Jesus It's kind of my loving isn't it how did Jesus give us the glory the father gave him and how does that help us to be one? Well? Romans 8 says, Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. I didn't like that one quite so much. <laughs> what does Paul mean? We are heirs of God's glory. Well, firstly, We share his glory when we go and be with him in heaven, when we see him face to face, and we get to live in that glorious place where God provides all the light we need. There's no need for a sun, where there's no more death or mourning or crying and pain. The older I get, the more I look forward to that day. But is Paul only talking about the future in heaven? On what basis can I possibly share in Jesus' glory here and now? Only because of his death and resurrection. Only because he took my place and paid for my sin and gave me that free gift of righteousness. Corinthians says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus said I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one I in them and you in me then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me if you read through John 15, 16 and 17 looking at the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit you you will see that they have between them, perfect love, joy, they glorify each other. They have perfect oneness, that relationship. The Father loves the Son. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit only speaks what the Father tells him. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. Between the three which are one, there's that wonderful relationship of oneness. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from the Father, I've made known to you. He's sharing with his disciples everything from the Father. He's inviting them in to that relationship that Father, Son and Holy Spirit have. In chapter 16 he says, When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Chapter 17 in Jesus' prayer. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. This is eternal life, that they will know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus had all that glory before the world even began and yet he set it aside. But after his death and resurrection the Father glorified him again and Here he is asking God to glorify him even there while he's there praying before he even died because he had that closeness and that his father shared his glory with him. It says Holy Father protect them that's the disciples by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Now the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son are one and he says they could be one as we are one. That's a bit of a mind-blowing concept too, isn't it? That we could possibly be close like the Father and the Son. God has invited us to join in that relationship. Of course we don't do it perfectly with our unity and of being one with him, but we are growing into that relationship. And as we do that, the unity between us grows as well. And Romans 8, with that verse that said, but if we are to share his glory, we must share his suffering. Part of that relationship doesn't mean that we don't have troubles and difficulties here or there. Jesus had trouble. Jesus suffered rejection and pain and suffering, even though he had a perfect relationship with his father. Are we prepared to be faithful in the hard times as well as the good ones? Jesus stuck to his plan. He didn't give up, even as he faced the cross, because he was looking forward to the reward of having us share His glory. It was worth it to Him to make us righteous so we could share His glory and live in relationship with Him. I find it hard to understand that I share in His glory. I so easily revert to feeling like God is distant and disproving, or to feeling insignificant instead of loved, to worrying instead of trusting. To striving instead of resting. God's glory is beyond my comprehension now, and yet He has given me His glory, His righteousness, His reputation in exchange for mine. Wow! When I grasp that God has given me righteousness in His sight, that He loves me the same as He loves Jesus, that I share in His glory. I'm overcome by the wonder of his grace. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we're just so grateful for all that you've given us, that you've invited us into that relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you share your glory with us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.